Hey, New Heart, great to be able to share with you again. I'm going to ask a question. Are you a person who is easy, easily influenced? Imagine you go to the shops just to buy some milk. When you're walking out of the shops, you've got the milk in one hand and the block of chocolate in the other. You only went there for the milk. Why don't you get the chocolate? Can I say it's something that we can easily come under this influence of something else that makes us then want to get something that we may not need or did not need, but we still got it. For example, let me give you other examples of how we can easily come under these influences that are around us. For example, imagine you're driving your car and you have this car cut in front of you and in fact, they cut you off. Do you immediately get angry and frustrated at that driver? Or are you able to keep driving and just go, it doesn't faze me? Unfortunately, for too many people, they get you know, impacted negatively by those sort of events. In fact, within the next 15 minutes, those people will actually uh, find themselves having an outburst, be it against other drivers or people or events, because of that frustration that came from the driver who cut them off. Another example is, uh, imagine you make a phone call to someone. You've been in a great mood, you've enjoyed your day, you ring them, and the opening words of this other person is, I am so angry, I'm so annoyed, I'm so frustrated. And you're going, okay. It's not anything that you've done, it's just that that's how their day's going. You get off the phone about 10 minutes later, and you think, hey, I'm okay, nothing's wrong. But within the next 30 minutes, suddenly you find yourself doing an outburst of some sort and you go, wow, hang on, what happened? It's the fact that we've partnered with an influence and we haven't even realised it at the time because, you know what, we've just allowed ourselves to come under it rather than being aware of it and taking authority over it. Sometimes we don't realise that we come under this influence of other things. And let me just give you another example, just as, to help visualize it. It was a car, and the car, as it was going along, went over the edge and went into this water. They got a crane to be able to lift the car out of the water. And unfortunately, under the weight, the influence of the car, the crane toppled over and also landed in the water. So they got a crane, another crane along, Firstly, it lifted the car out of the water. Then it went to lift the crane out of the water. However, it too fell into the water under the influence of the weight of that crane. So then they got a third crane to come along and lift the other two cranes out of the water. What I'm trying to communicate in this is that sometimes it can be so subtle that we don't recognise the weight or the influence that comes against us and we actually find ourselves coming underneath it. And in doing so, it changes our behavior, it changes our actions, it changes our words. And we later on go, whoa, where did that come from? What happened? Let me give you um, just a passage from Revelation chapter, 20, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And we read in this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. 
Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Ephesus was this commercially prosperous city. But it was most widely known throughout the Roman Empire for its worship and the temple to Artemis, or otherwise known by the Romans as Diana. She was thought to be the goddess of fertility. And according to Acts chapter 19, verse 27, she was worshipped all over the world. However, many people became Christians in Ephesus, and the church grew to this position of prominence. But by the time we get to Revelation, that prominence has waned. Whilst the Ephesians were doing all the right things and in the process, they actually lost that intense and exclusive love for Christ that they once had. In fact, the Revised Standard Version says, I have this against you that you've abandoned the love that you had at first. Jesus uses the word agape to describe love. It's sacrificial love. They'd come under the influence of their environment. That serving God was now an act of duty or this from a sense of duty rather than one of love. They were going through all the motions, but they did not love him like they used to. They were still busy, but they were not passionate for him. And Jesus was warning them that they had come under the influence of their environment. In fact, back in Matthew, Jesus had warned that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. See, it's recognizing that we may live in the physical, but we are fighting a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like the church in Ephesus, we can start off strong, but then over time we forget that it's a spiritual battle and focus just on physical. How many times do we complain about something just on a physical level and, ex and ignore the spiritual ties behind it. For example, Sunday morning comes along. We wake up and we go, oh, I'm so tired. You know, I, I can't go to church today. But, you know, it's only about short one, two hours later that suddenly we have so much energy that we drive off to the beach or to the shops. Where did the tiredness go? Was it more spiritual than physical? Similar thing happens with life groups. You know, you get to life group nine, you go, oh, it's been a long day, I'm tired. Yeah, I can't go. But yet you then stay up late watching movies. Well, maybe you're anxious and weighed down about something and it consumes your thoughts. It um, robs you of sleep. But have you stopped to consider that... What are the spiritual things going on behind it? How can we as Christians be influences of our culture or of our environment rather than coming under it or being absorbed by it? There's three things I want to point out to us today. 
The first is to see the culture and environment for what it is. See, at Jesus', at Jesus crucifixion, we read that when the centurion and those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Now, where did they get that phrase from? Because the notice above Jesus' head was, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. But they were able to, based on their environment, all that they saw, be able to exclaim that surely Jesus was the son of God. It is seeing the reality of our environment. Let me give you another example of when Jesus was on the boat and he was asleep and all the disciples were there on the boat with Jesus. And then suddenly this huge storm came up. There was wind and the waves and the disciples, they were starting to freak out. So they woke Jesus and said, we're going to drown. Don't you care? And Jesus, he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and immediately it was calm. What was the difference? The disciples looked at the physical, whereas Jesus looked at what was the spiritual things going on behind it that was stirring this storm. Another example is of Paul in Acts chapter 17, when he found this altar inscription that read, To an unknown God. For Paul, he knew the culture, he knew the environment, and he knew the people. And he describes these people that in every way you are very religious. And yet, despite this, in this whole occurrence and conversation that we have here, never did Paul quote any verses from Scripture. Why? He recognised that as soon as he did, it would create this barrier in his conversing with them. These people, all they wanted was the latest thing, the latest you know, uh, trends, and were only going to accept that. And so he knew that these people were influenced by their culture, doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And he acknowledged that they had this altar that was there to an unknown God. Now, some people might look at this passage and go, well, these people, they are religious people. They're on their way to discovering God. But they were just wanting to know and to listen to the latest teaching. It wasn't about growing closer to God. It's a bit like in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Paul, he saw the culture and environment for what it was. They may have looked religious, but they were far from God. They were created, um, they, what they created was to this unknown God, but that unknown God was one that Paul was proclaiming to them as one he knew personally. In fact, this last week I went to visit Bob in the hospital and, and one of the hospital assistants, when he found out that I was a pastor, he was very quick to tell me that he was an atheist. The guy immediately created these walls to any conversations about God. But one other thing he did then say to me was, and if I'm wrong, I guess I'm having a warm bath. See, this guy, although calling himself an atheist, he knew enough that there is a hell. Some people, they know Jesus as saviour, but 
They don't actually recognise the environment around them that is trying to rob them of a deeper walk with him. So rather than actually being influencers in our society, in our environment, they're instead being influenced of it and for some are actually being led astray. So what do we do? What's the second thing? Is to be on our guard. We, in order to be influencers for Christ, we need to be on our guard. In fact, 24 times in the New Testament, we read this phrase, be on your guard. Why would the New Testament writers feel it so important to write it that many times? It's because there's so many examples of people who started off strong, but slid away from this relationship with God as they succumb to the influences in society. In fact, I had a friend at Bible college who for three years, we sat in many of the same lectures and and he was in the final year of his study and suddenly he disappeared. And I tracked him down and went and knocked on his door one day and he opened the door and he said, hey, and we had this wonderful chat. And I said to him, what happened? And he went, oh, I've got this job. I'm selling insurance. I'm making so much money. And that was it. We need to be on our guard. And what does it mean to be on our guard? Well, the Greek word has three ideas that it, uh, of, it, it portrays through this word guard. It means to attend to or pay attention to, to be aware or cautious, and to join or devote ourselves to. So in other words, to be on our guard, it means to be attentive, cautious, and then devote ourselves to the right course of action. We read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. The tense of this verse is written in such a way that it indicates a continuous action, meaning that there are always things trying to seduce people in order to believe a false doctrine. So therefore, to be on our guard is so that we do not believe or react to something that is false. You know, think back to the car that cuts us off or the phone call that frustrates. Rather than just accepting these things as normal, it is guarding ourselves so that it does not change our attitude or our behavior. And we do this using the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects our thoughts to believe the truth and guard against the lies and the deceit. Our thoughts, if uh, we allow, are the difference between victory or defeat. Or another way of saying it is to put on Christ and off self. And if we are putting on Christ, then we will model the example of Christ. Which brings me to the third point, and that is to love one another. When we react against the driver who cuts us off or partner with the anger of the person on the phone call, are we acting in love? We read in 1 John chapter 2, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. You know, in And whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is made truly complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. How did Jesus live? He loved and he gave us the command to love one another. And this passage says evidence of us loving God is being able to love one another. Therefore, when someone wrongs us, do we love? 
The reality is, unfortunately, too many people react rather than love. They're quick to hold this offense or to judge. However, reacting does not help us to influence. Instead, we are being influenced by it. Therefore, if we want to be influencers of our environment, it is learning to love in all situations. It may help us to ask ourselves, am I showing love right now? Because they will know that we're Christians by our love. Think of the times God has called us to love, but we've actually withheld that love because we've justified the anger, the hurt, the bitterness, the offense that the other person has caused us. Well, going back to the Ephesians in, in Revelation, Jesus said they needed to remember the height from which they had fallen. The word remember, it's Greek verb calling for an ongoing continual act on our part so that we are continually remembering. It's remembering so that we can be culture influencers rather than being influenced by our surroundings. When we're influencers, we actually can then lift others up rather than succumbing under their influence. Think back to the pictures of the crane and how each one fell under the weight, the influence of another. When we choose to be influencers, we can then lift others up as we rely on Christ. We lift others up and we strengthen them. Just like this other picture of a crane that's able to hold up an additional three cranes rather than fall under the weight of them. See, be, love. See the environment, be on our guard and love one another. And in doing so, undergird all of this in prayer. It's exercising the authority that we have in Christ. Because to not pray, it actually reveals a lack of trust in what God can do. So look around with your spiritual eyes and see what's trying to influence you that you need to take authority over. What are the areas God is calling you to take an influence in? So that we love culture influences. Now, for some of us, we may need to actually repent and ask God for his forgiveness for the times that we've allowed ourselves to be influenced in, in a negative way. But know that our God is gracious and he restores us. The Lord bless you. Have a wonderful day.